0: Hello, and a very warm welcome to the EMG Gold podcast. This is your host, Dan Healy, Chief Commercial Officer here at EMG. And today, I'm very excited to be joined by a leading voice in the pharmaceutical industry right now, the Region Europe Medical Director at Novartis, Anarita Ferreira.
1: Hi, Dan.
0: Hi, Anarita. For a bit of background, Anarita is from Lisbon, uh, where she trained as a medical doctor in the early 2000s before obtaining a master's degree in healthcare management. She spent six years working as a physician at the Hospital de Santa Maria before making the transition into pharmaceuticals and taking a post at Novartis. She has remained at the company ever since, working her way up from a disease area manager to the position she now holds at Region Europe Medical Director. Her work has taken her across Europe from Portugal to Italy to Spain, So I'm looking forward to hearing more about her multinational experience of the industry. Welcome to the podcast, Anna-Rita. Thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Dan. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today.
0: Super. Yeah, lovely to have you on. It's uh, it's great to speak to you again. So we begin. Hematology and cancer have been a huge focus of your career today. But it'd be interesting to find out to, to what extent did your interest in the therapeutic area Prompt your move from healthcare into pharmaceuticals?
1: Thank you. That, that is a lovely question, very interesting. So, yes, um, as you said, uh, I am an hematologist by background, and this is a little bit how I define myself. Um, I am absolutely passionate about cancer care, particularly the blood cancers. Uh, and to be honest, my uh, change from the academia to the farm industry was not something that I had planned. You know, it came a little bit as an opportunity at a certain point uh, in my life, and I thought that this was very appealing to me. Um, you know, I, I was loving my work in the hospital, every every bits of that. I was working in the hematology department in, as you said, Santa Maria Hospital in Lisbon, an university hospital, also working in the bone marrow transplant unit. Um, but at a certain point, particularly for someone that is highly curious as me, um, seeing patients every day and treating the same patients every day, um, to a certain extent, is not as um, appealing in a long term, uh, and so the possibility of joining the pharmaceutical industry for me gave me the opportunity to see different perspectives, to learn much more things in in other areas, and also, ultimately, to be able to impact uh, a wider number of patients. Right, so it it brought me from treating 10, 15, 20 patients per day to be able to impact 100 patients throughout the development or throughout working on access for patients. So basically, um, that was it. This was uh, uh, what made me move uh, already five years ago.
0: Thanks, Anarita. That makes sense. Your 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 passion for the topic obviously comes through, and it's it's interesting to see obviously that the a, a big driver there was about how how you can have a bigger impact on that. And I suppose on on, on the topic of impact, we're, we're beginning to see the impact of the delays that have been caused to cancer screenings by COVID nineteen. So, in, in your opinion, and from sort of your learnings how substantial has the impact been in the area of blood cancer specifically and um, what does pharma need to do to compensate for the lost time here do you think
1: for for me this um this is i i have a major concern uh when regards to to this topic actually so we have been discussing uh, widely the impact of covid-19 and of course this has impacts impacted um, each and every one of us patients being diagnosed uh, much later and actually I was just uh, listening an interview actually from my from one of the physicians of my center uh, back in Portugal that in another in another area of uh, the cancer treatment uh, in that situation it was the breast cancer this year, they were seeing 40% more of metastatic, can, metastatic breast cancer. So we can extrapolate by these numbers the delay that uh, the diagnosis of cancer is, uh, is having, and of course this impacts tremendously in the outcomes of these patients, in the likelihood of survival, in the likelihood of having um, a good quality of life. Uh, So this is is extremely concerning. Um, Also, in the um, hematological area, of course, when we are thinking about particularly the chronic diseases, um myelodysplastic syndromes myeloproliferative syndromes even multiple myeloma or lymphoma of course that this has a tremendous impact because um the patients are um not so not not having an easy access to to the hospital facilities um and uh, the appointments are being delayed uh, and there is a, a, a whole uh, sense of fear, right? That hopefully we will be able to improve in the near future. But as for now, uh, there are, there is still a lot of concern in going to the hospital for these patients that are fragile uh, patients. Uh, actually, I, I was just reading uh, there there is this recommendation from the, Europe, the European Parliament that was just uh, very recently published, they had consulted um, some experts uh, to, to draw some uh, recommendations on this impact of the COVID pandemic um, on cancer. And this was acknowledged by, uh, let's say, the cross-functional group that was uh, interviewed uh, between experts health authorities, patient associations, also pharma, and the the European Parliament gave this some some very interesting recommendations to, um, as you said, to compensate for this lost time because, as stated there also, um, there was uh, significant delay and cancellations in appointment for these cancer patients. Uh, Also, of course, that... The workforce in the health system was shifted to the COVID um, treatment, COVID patients treatment. You know, myself, I have so many friends, hematologists that needed, of course, to support uh, the, the COVID um, units during this time and redrawing a little bit, of course, of support to the hematology patient care. um, this is very impactful for everyone Um, and on top of that also the the research uh, on cancer treatments has been also delayed right so that the financial the logistic challenges that come due to the COVID situation it's also a reality so um, definitely it's it's my understanding, and I think that it's it's all our understanding that we need to um, give our hands to uh, increase the partnership, increase the collaboration uh, with uh, the scientific communities, the health authorities, the patient associations, the different pharma industry, to make up for this this lost time and kind of mitigate the, the impact in, in the patients' lives because we will you know we will see this impact in cancer patients long after COVID is is gone uh, and uh, and this will we will need to dedicate our biggest effort to, to make sure that we are doing this for, for these patients.
0: Yeah, that that's really interesting, Sienna Rita. Like you say, because there is that sense of fear. There is the there's some big concerns about what obviously what's been going on, um, and there's been some delays in the treatments. But it is fantastic, as we were touching on earlier. It looks like we are making progression in that way, and it is fantastic. I completely agree with you to see the work that hematologists and why the healthcare professionals have done, the collaborations and the partnerships that have been put together hopefully they can continue to to try and sort of mitigate some of these um, some of these challenges moving forward so we we'll, we'll, we'll look over the next few months and see see how they how they do progress on that side now yeah. i obviously I've been fortunate enough to work with you a good few times and we were fortunate to have you contribute to uh, the feature article for the uh, is the 15th issue of gold called antidotes to infodemic now that challenges or considers the challenge i should say of misinformation but can you tell us more about the role that you think pharma can play in um i suppose reclaiming healthcare narratives and championing the scientific voices in the mainstream yeah
1: thank you it was it was my my best pleasure to have uh uh, contributed to, to this article, and uh, this is uh, of critical importance: the misinformation, the misinformation um, on healthcare and uh, on so many other so many other topics. Uh, we know that, for example, uh, social media being um, a super tool that we can use for reaching out to people and to. Uh, make sure that um, we elevate the knowledge of uh, the society in the long run um, is also has has the the setback of uh, sometimes uh, kind of fostering the confusion between what it's a fact and what it's an opinion right and we see this uh, misinformation pandemic and this misunderstanding about what is a Particularly, what is a science a scientific fact, and allow my bias here being um, a scientist, let's say uh, that I, I particularly suffer a little bit with this confusion between what is a, a scientific fact that that was shown and proven by scientific methods and an opinion and uh, of course, that it's good to have a voice, but sometimes it's important to understand what are the sources and uh, uh, to to make sure that in the end this is not um, negatively impacting in healthcare. Uh, for example, addressing specifically the topic of uh, of healthcare, and and we've seen this, of course, we've seen this in so many different areas, we w- we've seen how the impact of the misinformation has also in healthcare. And of course that the pharma industry has a pivotal role in fighting against this misinformation. I think that is our, um, it's it's our responsibility to keep fostering, to have a clear communication Based on facts, but that is close to the to the people, right? And I think that here we probably have still a bit way to go to make sure that we are seen as the reliant partner for the society. Uh, and this is this is up to us to farm. I think we have done quite a lot, and I think that farmer. Um, Has proven uh, also within this pandemic how important it is to to society and uh, how hand in hand it is. But I think we we need also to keep improving the clarity of our messaging. You know, to to make sure that we are present in the right channels with clear, concise, and understandable messaging to the society and uh, i think that this is the um, the critical role that we have to to play here for the society and of course um as as i said uh, when when writing when uh, uh, writing my piece of the article it's also important and we've learned uh, also with this pandemic how important it is to collaborate so to to um, abandon our silo as a pharmaceutical industry and um, and collaborate with uh, with other let's say other players in healthcare uh, to with, with the health authorities um, with the, the scientific societies this is um, very important collaboration is uh, central piece I would say.
0: Yeah, you're right. It it really does play a critical role in there, and I suppose the, the, one of the words I took from that is you talk of the impact again. It's the there's a, there's a massive impact of good information, but of course there is a, a huge impact on misinformation as well. So the, we we've made good progress on it, but there's still a uh, still a long way to go on that side. I believe.
1: I agree. I agree. I think that uh, when I joined farming industry and uh, I did it. As I said, six years six years ago, you know, there was a little bit this um, cloud of uh, joining the dark, and then I I entered for the first time in the office in in what is in, in my home country in Portugal, and I saw that they were people they they were people like the people that I worked on in the hospital, and they were. Professionals and they were doing their best, and they were there for the patients, such as the teams in the hospital that were doing their best for the patients. So um, I I I realize that because I moved and I'm still kind of going on through these two realities, and it's a little bit also, you know, my my purpose to bring those two realities together, because in the end we are just people trying to do our best uh and i think that this barrier it's very important uh and it's important that pharmaceutical industry in in my humble perspective uh to to be open and transparent because in the end this is what we want to do and we want to reach as many patients as possible completely for the good reasons right i i am absolutely sure that all of the for example, the treatments that I stand by for uh, in the company that I work with, I, I want them to uh, reach the right patient because I know, even as an hematologist myself, how good they are for the right patients. And, uh, and I think that we need to embrace this with clarity and make sure that we are able to communicate that clearly, honestly, openly. So yes, I would say that there is still a way to go, but I would also say that um, the base is there. So I I am very positive about this um, improvement for the future, and of course the contribution of the pharmaceutical industry.
0: I love I love your uh, your positivity on the topic, and I love your uh, I love your passion, and I know that something else you're um, you're passionate about and a, a proud advocate of is diversity and gender equality. It's something you openly discuss, I know, on social media. Um, But I'd be interested to get your your thoughts around what can individuals, as well as the industry, do to encourage and support women entering um, STM, as well as challenge bias and stereotypes in the workplace?
1: (laughs) I'm so happy that you uh, posed this question. Yes, you're right. So I am uh, extremely passionate about some causes. I know that all causes have their value and um, and I'm not saying that my cause, it's more valuable than any other cause. But I would say if I had to pick one of my causes, it would be definitely diversity and gender equality. Um, Most of all, because I think I deeply believe on the business case of diversity. I deeply believe that a diverse team is a better team. Uh, It's a team that gathers more perspectives, gathers more experiences, and is much more equipped to face challenges. So I am deeply convinced about this. Uh particularly on the gender equality, uh I think that it is um it has had dramatic improvements, let me say that, because I, I think that um it it is not for so many countries, so uh past in the future that women could not vote, that the, the voice of women was not. The same as uh, as men, and uh, I I can tell you that I am happy to uh, and lucky to work in a company where this is um, a pillar uh, and something that we work very hard to achieve the, the gender the gender equity and the gender balance uh, within the the company within Novartis. Um, However, you know, I I was just talking with one of my kids uh, last week. I have two kids, as as we were just uh, talking before uh, we started this podcast. And uh, uh, my nine-year-old, she's starting this movement at school because she was very upset about uh, the girls not having the same time to play football as the boys. You know, I come from a country which is a football lover, yes, as it's known in Portugal. Um, so I have a daughter that uh, loves to play soccer. Um, and But the girls could not play. So she was very uh, upset about this, feeling the injustice of that. And so this, uh, we started to, to discuss and to talk about... Um, the gender challenges and the challenges that uh, a girl might might face, and uh, you know that she was so surprised when I told her that in many jobs still today for the same job, a girl was earning less than a man, and for her, of course that this started with football players, which we know how in general in balance there is a paycheck of a, a male football player and the female. But then we we were also talking about other roles. Uh, and for her, of course, this was dramatic surprise. Uh, and I think that um, we should always feel this challenge, you know, something to push our boundaries. It makes it made me reflect upon yes, you are right. We have Um, move, we have been a long way, we have developed a lot towards gender equity, but there is still a lot to go, you know, we are not there yet. Uh, And this is something that uh, for the industry, for the technology, for the health uh, industry, it's also very important, right? And this is something that uh, I, I've i been actually reflecting a little bit upon. How can we move from uh, within the company where we do have this uh, movement and uh, um, awareness about the need and the benefit of, uh, of having uh, this uh, gender equality? uh to the outside world because actually still of today when for example we do an advisory board with the uh, top KOLs around Europe there is still a huge imbalance probably because um women are need to do to do a step back on their um maternityhood, so to, to have their children, they need to do a step back in their in, in their career. Uh, and probably this uh, might delay a little bit the development in, uh, in physicians' careers, for example. Uh, and I think that uh, it's also our role as pharmaceutical industries uh, when we are engaging with, uh, with external partners, for example, with the um, with physicians, with experts, uh, uh, with opinion leaders, um, to make sure that we can also support the development of women in science. It's it's important, and uh, for me, it's uh, it's a little bit one of my purposes uh, also within the company to make my small contribution uh to to support women
0: in science. Yeah, I like that. There's a couple of things there that I re- I really sort of resonate with there. You the your comments on the, you know, the diversity of experience, I think is so vital because with that diversity of experience, you get a diversity of thinking which obviously allows us to a diversity of coming up solutions, new ideas and everything on that. So it's a, it's a win-win for all of us really and I also love the fact that your uh, your daughter's already challenging things around her because without that challenge and without people putting that challenge forward how are things ever going to improve in in different aspects and we need to constantly be challenging things and questioning things is this the best way to do things how can we do things better how can we do things differently and that's where uh that's where innovation comes from as well so i love that i'd love to see how she's getting on um fast forward six months anarita yes yes well now uh as
1: i told you i think she's uh at least she told me that she was driving a campaign there. She made a letter to the principal with some flyers distributing around the school. Uh, I think she ma- they managed already to do have a good split in time uh, of football for girls and boys. So I think she's very happy for the moment. So, well, at least in this gender battle, I think she was successful to achieve the at least the equality of uh, time to play football.
0: I love it. I love it. Fast forward another three months. I'm sure she'll. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how she's got on. So, brilliant, brilliant. I love that. So, um, looking back at where we are. So, over the past year or so, we've all had to become more agile. I know we were picking up on this before the podcast. And for an industry like pharma, that means creating flexible bureaucracies to deliver best in class care. But what impact will this have on farmers' willingness to take risks and embrace agility going forward, do you think?
1: You know, I would say an unprecedented impact. Um, I think that with all of the bad things about the COVID and the pandemic situation, we've learned so many things. Uh, we've learned that we are capable of doing so many things that we would never ever had imagined uh like uh the time to set up clinical trials for example right so uh the time uh to bring treatments to the market to patients namely the vaccines to uh to the covid patients or the the non-covid patients actually um to the population in general i think that. Um, even internally, and I, I can say this for my um, internal Novartis experience, we are not in the, pharma, in the, in the vaccines business, but uh, we did um, try to gather all of the treatments that we have available in our portfolio and understand and test them if in different settings of the COVID infection if they would have a benefit for already infected patients. And it was remarkable to see how fast we were able to start these clinical trials and to have um, the the, the preliminary results uh, of uh, of these clinical trials. So I think that we have raised the bar, right? We we have raised the bar uh, to an extent that we didn't know that it was possible. You know, when a year ago or a year and a half ago, I would think, you know, how much time do I need to start a clinical trial? And I would say, well, you know, minimum, minimum eight months, you know, to have everything, to have the protocol, to have all the approvals, to have the ethics committee, to have everything. And, and we were able to do that in around five weeks. You know how remarkable is that, and I'm sure that this has been also uh, the same situation in other pharma companies where um, the the associates were working uh, restlessless uh, to to make sure that they were doing the contributing the, their contribution for this research. Um, our challenge now is. Are we going to um, be ready for the challenge that we have our, ourselves set, at, right? So we know that this is possible. So again, to, to the point of uh, compensating for the lost time for cancer patients, are we able to still make our research with this new speed, with these new timelines? You know, maybe not, but probably we should point our objective to somewhere in the middle, right? I think that this is a, a challenge that we need to um, to start um, guiding our way to that, to make sure that we will be able to deliver, as you said, the best in class treatments on time to patients because we know that we can do better. Uh, so I think that definitely this, will, this was one of the learnings that we got from this pandemic. And, uh, you know, as an optimist, I believe that we will be able to use this asset that we gain now, this capability, this knowledge into the future. And particularly, of course, my bias towards the cancer patients uh, in favor of this of this patients the other the other thing uh, that comes to my mind it's also we know you know we know that we live in this VUCA world we know that um, this is volatile but you know we had uh with with this uh, with the pandemic situation we we lived through this experience so we lived through the experience of the need of being agile as you said and you know, and all of the sudden we had to change all of our plans, you know, all of the sudden the external environment was no longer the same and uh, we had to adapt. Uh, and again, to our point of diversity, this is also in favor of uh, diversity because we had to really listen to uh, what the team was saying, what the external environment was saying, Uh, and uh, adapt and move forward in maybe a different direction that we had anticipated. Um, And that's okay. So we had to learn how to be agile. We had to learn how to work in remote teams uh, and uh, still making it happen, right? And I think that uh, we, again, we learned that this is possible. So this is our goal now to keep the agility, to keep the acceleration uh, in order to be able to bring our medicines, our equipment to, to patients as fast as possible.
0: Yeah, it certainly has made us adapt. And like you say, some things have slowed us down, but some things have sped us up. And um, it's going to be interesting, obviously, taking taking those learnings forward. Talk, talking of adapting, because I know you're you're someone who's adapted to living across many different countries or a few different countries in Europe. What what have you noticed to be the the common themes across different European countries when it comes to uh, medical needs? Say and looking forward, when travel does open up again, where's the first place you're going to be heading to, Anarita?
1: Good question. Uh, So, uh, for the health needs, um, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to move away to very different cultures, to be honest. Uh, Well, not living there. Of course, I have visited um, different, uh, extremely different uh, cultures and realities. But living, having this experience, yes, I've lived course, in Portugal, in Spain, in France, now in Italy. Um, and uh, in terms of the healthcare, I think the needs are very similar. Uh, maybe the resources are the difference. Uh, you know, and I can tell you a story um, back at math, back in, in math school. Uh, when I was uh, around my fourth year uh, of uh, of med school, I did um, the Erasmus program, which was is very famous um, for college uh, students. So I lived that year in, in Paris, and um, I I had this uh, opportunity of working in um, in Paris hospital as a, as a student, as a med student, of course. And you know, I was impressed by the difference of resources. you know. Um, for example, um, if in Portugal back then, and of course, this is not now, and uh, I, I need to put this disclaimer in favor of my country uh, to acknowledge the development that the country has had in the last decade. But uh, yeah, this was, um, well, more than 15 years ago. Um, So I think that this was uh, a different country back then. Uh, And if we needed, as a a young physician, if we wanted to ask for a TC scan, for example, we almost had to ask the Pope to do it, right? So the resources were scarce. scarce, So we had to be very cautious about that. Uh, Moving to France, of course, that I did not live. To that So if I wanted to ask for a TC scan for a patient I would ask. Um, I can, I can tell you that as uh, everything there is also the other side of the the other side of the coin which in this case was um, I, I knew much more about the basic, listening touching doing the clinical evaluation of the patient probably because as as a student and as a a doctor um uh, in portugal i did have many uh, less resources than my colleagues that had more resources so they did not need to spend that much time thinking about the clinical evaluation of uh, of the patient, because they could very easily ask for um, complementary exams, such as a TC scan or others. So, Regardless of that, as I said in the beginning, I think that the, the, the needs are still the same. Uh, the needs of, and going back to uh, the cancer treatment and the cancer patients, um the the unmet needs are tremendous and of course that we have made a huge progress so far uh, you know when i first started my med school back then cml for example was a fatal disease and now uh, it has um an overall survival similar to the uh, to the overall population so how amazing is that right? Uh, and this is what we aim for, really, to cure cancer and to cure hematological cancer. This is really what I work for and what we work for um, at Novartis and probably, of course, many other industries are having the same goal, the same objective, and I'm very happy about it. So um, to your second question, now that uh, We hopefully will be back to be able to travel uh, back again. Um, And I cannot uh, waste the opportunity to talk about my home country. Yes, I've lived in in some countries. Maybe I will even live in some more. But, uh, you know, there is this pearl in the middle of the ocean that it's called Azores. Which is the most incredible place on Earth, um, particularly for the ones that love nature. And I am a nature lover, and um, and the 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 ones that love scuba dive, I, I do love scuba dive. So it's a fantastic place to travel to, um, and this is where uh, I'm going uh, if uh, the pandemic allows for my next travel.
0: Brilliant. That sounds amazing. And rather than if, it'll be when. <laughs> you'll, you'll certainly get there.
1: Yes, yes. Well, um, let's see. Again, I'm very optimistic. So uh, I hope soon. Uh, but um, we never know. We've, we've learned with, uh, with the pandemic Uh, that our plans might change and we need to adapt so also to our travels we make very um, interesting plans and we are we need to be um, (laughs) agile to adapt them even our vacation planning
0: of course of course well we're we're heading in the right direction and I I love the passion that comes with it I mean your your commitment to progression both for for patients and for employees is is inspiring and i, I always love always love talking to you Anna Rita. it's been it's been a real pleasure hearing your insight today and and learning from your your experience so i'd just like to take the opportunity to thank you uh, for taking the time out to speak with me TA.
1: thank you dan again my biggest pleasure to to speak to you and uh, to participate in your podcast i am as i as i told you before i am a podcast lover Always seeking for good, um, with learnings from the podcast, sometimes good laughs, also. So, thank you so much for the opportunity, it was a lovely conversation.
0: No, no problem at all. Thank you very much for joining, and uh, and that's that's all we have for uh, for this week, folks. So, don't forget to head to the gold website to read the latest issue at emggold.com. To our listeners, if you'd like to hear more conversations like the brilliant one we had today, please join us again next Tuesday on your preferred uh, podcast platform for another episode of the EMG Gold podcast. But until then, uh, take care and, uh, and goodbye from us.